You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Thank you for your good singing. Back in the book of Habakkuk this morning, finishing up this great minor prophet. Seventh sermon here in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 through the end of the book. The great final poem here of Habakkuk. This is Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Grass withers and the flower fades and the word of our God stands forever. This morning we're in this final section here of Habakkuk and we've really been building towards this. Habakkuk himself has been I think, building toward this great poetic section here at the end of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk has been on a roller coaster of emotions. He starts out angry at his own people for their sinfulness, their rebuke of God. He starts out heartbroken. God, how long will you let your people persist in sin? How long can this go on? How long can they reject you? How long can they have disregard for you, the God who has worked wonders in saving them and they've gone their own way. They've become their own kings, their own authorities. And Habakkuk says, God, how long can this be? He's distraught. And then God comes in and says, you're right. We can't let this continue on. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and they're going to bring judgment on my people. And Habakkuk says further, no, what in the world is going on? He's plunge further into despair. God, how can you do this? How can you take and judge a sinful nation by an even more sinful nation? He's, he's distraught. And then we see in chapter 2 this, this holy reality of a God who's in charge of all things, who is ultimately going to destroy the one who has come in to destroy his people, that God is going to work final justice for his people, that there's going to be woe. Those who've caused woe to God's people will themselves find themselves under woe. And so this is, this is not Darren being gloom and doom. This is me walking you through the book of Habakkuk. This is not Darren. This is what Habakkuk has said, okay? This is where we've been all these first two chapters in the book of Habakkuk. And then he gets into chapter three. Habakkuk sees all of this. He's silenced right there at the end of chapter 2. I close my mouth. And in chapter 3, he begins to worship this God who's in charge of all of these things, who's, who's going to work things that Habakkuk is going to find very unpleasant. 
And he says, I'm going to worship my God. No matter what you may ordain to come my way, I will praise your name. So beautiful to hear Habakkuk's confidence in a God who ultimately does no wrong for his people, no matter what comes their way. So Habakkuk launches into this prayer phrase because God is worthy of his worship. Not because God is doing <laughs> what Habakkuk wants him to do, but because Habakkuk is given the eyes to see the good that God is doing even when he may not be aware of it. He's not doing it exactly. Habakkuk is not hearing from God, okay, you want it this way, fine, I'll do it your way. But he's given eyes to see a bigger reality and his heart is rejoicing not in getting it his way, but in trusting in the God who has his way and ultimately is working for the good of his people. Habakkuk gives up on his demands for God to do what he wants him to do, and instead he rejoices, trusting God and his good purposes and what he is doing. And that anchor, that anchor is what gives Habakkuk joy, not in getting it his way, but in getting God who is working his purposes. My main point from the start of this series was simply that we can often get so self-centered that we begin to demand that God doing righteously means that he must conform to our wants and desires. Righteousness is God, let me give you the list. Righteousness is you fulfilling my demands. But Habakkuk is going to challenge us. If we will listen, Habakkuk will train us to conform ourselves to God and his eternal good purposes instead of trying to force God to conform to ours. Habakkuk, if we will listen, will train us to conform ourselves to God and his eternal good purposes instead of being frustrated and worked up and upset over trying to get God to be conformed to ours. But I want to go further this morning and add this, that then resting in God's sovereign purpose is the creature's only hope for real joy. Resting in God's sovereign purpose is the creature's only hope for ultimate joy. Believe it or not, what Darren is about here on a Sunday morning is your ultimate joy. What, what this book is about is the joy of God's people. Now that may come in the midst of lots of difficult circumstances, but God's main purpose is the joy of his people in him. Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Joy, your joy. Resting in God's sovereign purpose, his not yours, is the creature's only hope for ultimate joy. Everyone is on a search for joy. Everyone. Pascal, if you know the name Pascal, he uh, has this list of just uh, religious thoughts, but this is one of his, it has stuck with me for years, and this is his thoughts. He says it with some punch. He says it this way. He says that all men see, meaning humanity, and I don't think it's just particular to the gender of men, but all humanity, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. 
Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object, the object of happiness. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Now that's startling language. That came out of nowhere. Even the person who takes their own life, at the end, their goal is just his happiness. All men, all humanity, we all are seeking for happiness. And no matter what way you pursue it, through going to war or staying home from war, from pursuing whatever avenue, you're pursuing joy. Pascal cuts right to the point that happiness is the search for us all. The question is just a matter of what avenue we will take for the satisfaction of that joy. Because many, many are offered to us. For some, the pursuit of joy is found in obfuscation, pretending like bad isn't out there. So for some, the pursuit of joy is just kind of whistling past the graveyard sort of language. Maybe you've heard that saying that, every, that bad things don't happen, you know, and there's death, uh, death can be uh, put off for forever. There is no, that we just kind of through hiding, hiding what, um, how, how bad things can be, hide the reality that there is much in life to really make you upset. There's a lot of bad things going on. Loved ones die. Cancer is real. Children stray. Uh, friendships break down. People hurt you. I mean, all kinds. Just kind of hide that reality. Whistle along. Pretend like hard times don't exist. That's the avenue to joy. Just forget this. Forget bad can happen. Ha, I'm happy. That's um, the pursuit of many in our world today. Forget that bad things happen. It's just in the next thing, the next vacation, the next whatever trinket that you can purchase. Some, the pursuit of joy is found by reduction. We say, okay, joy, real joy, like to the, that you actually are filled with joy doesn't really happen. So what we'll just get is maybe a little window of okay. If I can get one hour, a half an hour on the golf course, which I don't know why I'd say that, that place never makes me happy. <laughs> if I can get a, 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 just a glimmer of something, you know, if I can get a half an hour on the couch with a book and a cup of coffee, then I'll settle for that. It won't be perfect, it won't be glorious, but it'll be enough. To me, our pursuit of joy is by reduction. Forget actually being internally satisfied. Forget ever actually come into a place like Habakkuk where you can say, I rejoice. Forget that. That's not reality. So we're going to reduce the bar and say we can't really have joy, but some fun will do. For some, the pursuit of joy is just found in the pursuing of joy. Like it's out there somewhere, so you just got to enjoy the journey. So you got to find in the pursuit of joy. I don't have it yet, but I'm on the way, so I'm pursuing joy. Some pursue joy by fatalistic pessimism. Like this is the weirdest one where it's like you just admit there is no joy to be found. And so there's almost this joy and resignation. <laughs> Maybe you know some people like this that they just are so dark in their view of the world that honestly just there's joy and just ruining everything for everyone else and just being dark and pessimistic. 
And that's the way. There's no joy. Even the smallest amount of relief um, should, be, should be enjoyed because it won't last. So there's just this sort of darkness on everything. That's not Habakkuk. Habakkuk, something has happened in his heart that is causing him to truly rejoice. We don't use words like that. We don't say, are you, re you, know, are you rejoicing today, brother, sister, Christ? Are you rejoicing? I just, I rejoice. We don't use language like that. But it's this expression of, 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 of internal gut joy. And it's not, oh, I'm happy about it. They say, I rejoice. I am filled with joy over, over what we'll get to. But he, something has happened in his heart that is causing him to truly rejoice. He has seen something that has strengthened him and caused him to take joy in his God. It's repeated there, verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He has this real joy. Now look with me at this passage. There is nothing that Habakkuk writes about that should give him joy. Nothing. It's, this is a terrible description of his life. This is terrible. The fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. He can't, there's no grapes. He can't make wine. They can't have a merry meal. There's no figs. There's nothing to eat from figs. There's no, there's no grapes. There's no wine to be made. There's no olive oil, which was used for everything. I mean, they use olive oil to do all sorts of things. I mean, there's no olive oil. There's no comfort. The fields, there's no field in the, in the, there's no food in the fields. The fields are barren. The flock is cut off from the fold. There's no sheep. There's no herd in the stalls. Now, they didn't eat cattle necessarily, but they used them to work the ground and to harvest and all of these things. And so the, the everything, one of those things, if just the figs had failed, well, you still got the fields, you still got the olive, you still got your sheep and your, and your cattle, you still, or if just the cattle, maybe the, maybe the herd is gone, but you still have got uh, all these other things going well for you. Habakkuk says, if all of these things have failed, there's nothing here to rejoice in, folks. There's nothing. Take everything that you depend upon for your life and wipe it away. You've got nothing to rejoice over. Your job's gone, kids are gone, your uh, high has gone, brand new high has gone. You, everything's gone. Nothing to rejoice for. Yet, Habakkuk rejoices. In the middle of this terrible reality, he rejoices. He knows what's coming. He knows the Chaldeans, the Babylonians are on their way. They're going to wipe out everything. And he rejoices. You know, I read this and I think, maybe Habakkuk's just a weirdo. I mean, honestly. <laughs> this, he must be, uh, he, I don't know, good for him, but this cannot be any sort of reality that we're honestly expected to live with. This, is this really a possibility for everyone? Give me a break. Who can live like this? Who can, who can say in the face of all of this terror, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. Maybe Habakkuk's just a super believer and good for him, but you know, and I'm glad and I, and I applaud him, but I don't, I don't think so. I think this is simply the outworking of what he has said earlier. Habakkuk chapter two, verse four, he says, the righteous shall live by faith. 
the righteous shall live by faith. This is what it means to live by faith. That in the face of all kinds of things going wrong, I'll rejoice in my Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Not some sort of obfuscation that bad things are going to happen. Like, you know, we all know the type. We all know the people who you just meet them and they are just over the top happy. And you think, I think something's going on. You're not all that happy. You kind of put it on a little too strong to pretend like you're happy when you aren't. We all know those types of individuals. This isn't Habakkuk. He's facing the facts of how hard it is and yet is saying, I will rejoice in the Lord. Psalms, there are several places in the Psalter we could look at. Just a couple here. We have time this morning. Psalm 27. David, in this psalm, he, he talks about this joy that he has in the Lord. These things are not going well for David. Psalm 27 is page 543 of your Bible. David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, people are coming against them. It's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. How? Because David says one thing. Verse 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing, David says, if I can be with you, if I can be in the favor of my God, war against me, out to get me, I'll be confident because there's really one thing I need. I need to be with you. And if I'm with you, there isn't anything that can be taken away from me that will matter. Because in the final analysis, one thing I've asked for that I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Psalm 84. You don't really know the writer of this one. But Psalm 84, I'm sure you've heard this. There's a song. There's a contemporary song that starts with 84 verse 1 says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Let's see. I want you to jump down to verse 10. He, he's writing about all these, this, the joy of being with God. And he says in verse 10, for a day in your courts is, one day, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Anywhere else. Think of the best place you could ever be. Think of your, think of your happy spot. A thousand days there, uninterrupted, of all of your, whatever the pursuit of joy that you have. One day with Jesus, better than a thousand, I don't care where you say. One day. And then he says, it gets, he, gets, he gets more radical. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. A doorkeeper is the person who stands outside. You know, they're, they're, they're the, well, actually, Walmart greeters have it better than that. They stand inside and say, hello, this would be the greeter who's standing outside while it's raining and everything's going on, and you show up and they open the door for you. 
And this writer says, I'd rather stand outside and just be a doorkeeper at the house of God than dwell in the lush tents of the wicked because I'm with my God. I'd rather be the doorkeeper at the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. This is the language of Christianity. This is the language of those the righteous shall live by faith. If you are not living by faith, if you're not looking for this God, if your heartbeat is not God just to be with you, then it's no, don't be surprised when joy in Jesus doesn't cut it for you. Don't be surprised when joy in Jesus doesn't cut it. But if you can see, like Habakkuk, if you can have your eyes opened to what God has done, to what God is ultimately working, if you can see what God is working, how he is working all things for your good, if you can have that kind of understanding of his salvation, there is a joy in Jesus that no trial, no trouble, and no tribulation can steal from you. Because I'd rather hold the door at the temple of God than dwell in all sorts of lavish, fun, wonderful times anywhere else. One commentator put it this way. He says, Habakkuk exhibited the kind of relationship with God which enjoyed the divine person more than the things he could do for the prophet. It wasn't, God, I enjoy you for what you can do for me. It's, God, I enjoy you for you more than what you can do for me. He put God above the fray of life, rejoicing in him and worshiping him regardless of the circumstances. Habakkuk rejoiced in God specifically because of his salvation. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I think that often we put salvation into just this small category of our lives. That being Christian does mean that when I die, I get to go be with the better place. I get to go to heaven. And we have salvation as this little corner of our lives. We put it in this small category. Getting saved, having God's salvation, it's like a box you check on a form. Yeah, I'm, I'm Christian. That is me. But that th this living by faith that Habakkuk calls for is not that. It's not that. That's maybe we discussed a few weeks ago. Having faith in contrast to living by faith. Habakkuk sees that this God is working all things, the whole of his life, the good and the bad, the ups and the downs, the hards, the trials, the, the difficulties, the gut-wrenching grief, all of it, all of it is God working for the ultimate good of his people. Filled with mystery, you better believe it. Filled with mystery. I don't know why this, that, and the other, but he sees then hears, has the eyes to see the God who is working for the good of his people. And he's so confident of that final fulfillment that he still rejoices in this great salvation, not of a corner of his life, but that all of his life, pushing towards this final and full joy of being with Jesus, even in the face of terrible times ahead. It's Mother's Day. I remember when my mom died uh, this October. I don't talk about it much. This October will be 20 years. I was 22. It was a terrible grief in my life. 
the Sunday before she died on a Monday. We sang a hymn. I'd never sung it before. I don't, to my recollection. The last line of the hymn says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily, I'm constrained to be. I had no idea that Sunday that we were singing it, the trial that laid right ahead of me. But facing one of the, the biggest one up to that point in my life, I came home from, to a prayer meeting and asked that we sing this hymn. Asked that we sing this hymn. Because I knew that in that moment, tough as it was, God was not failing me. God was not failing his people. In fact, every day is an outpouring of God's grace on sinners like me. And by God's mercy, I was able in this dark time, yes, to even rejoice. Even to rejoice. The earlier line in the hymn says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thine help I've come. It's a biblical word. They raise an altar, an Ebenezer, and the name means remember. It's, just, it's to remember. Thus far the Lord has helped me. And the hymn sings, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thine help I've come, and I hope. Now the hope is not a light hope. It's a confident hope. I hope in thy good pleasure safely to arrive all the way home, that God will not fail those who are his. And the darkness, the grief, the hardships may be mysterious, but they are not God's failings. They are not God's failings. He brings his people all the way home. God was preparing me. I'd have to stand by my daughter's hospital crib and fight to remember God's grace. Not to make everything right in the moment, and boy, did I want everything to go right in the moment, but there were, there were days there that I had to decide, and God was working in Darla and I's hearts that not that God would make everything necessarily right in that moment, but that a real, full, and final rightness was guaranteed. Come what may, my God rules. And the day comes when I will look back and I will remember he has never failed me all along the way. Mysterious, though many things may, have be, may be along the way, God has not failed. It empowered me to cry over the trial to grieve over that moment, but yet to trust him in the tears, to trust him in the tears. When my wife was going into emergency surgery because they said she has cancer and we got to get it out, like, I don't know, two years ago would have been best case scenario. Yesterday we needed to fix this. I was able to trust that in his hands, nothing but what is absolutely best for us for our, and for our forever is exactly what would happen. Even if the figs fail, even if the olive branches dry up, even if there's no fruit, even if the field doesn't produce, there's no flock, they're gone, the cattle be gone from their stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God is faithful, and we have reason to rejoice in the God of our salvation. And I want you, I want us to be a congregation that knows that kind of joy. Not that whistles insanely in hard times, but faces them, grieves together, 
and rejoices in the God who does not fail his people. The question we must fight to answer is, are we living by this faith? Is that what we are holding on to? Not keeping faith at some minimal level, but that it is the life force and joy behind all that we do. Not if we're bearing fruit, not if we keep getting the results that we want, not if everyone likes us and approves of us, but are we trusting in God and what he has for us? Are we treasuring and trusting him? It liberates us to suffer well. It liberates us to suffer well. It liberates us to love sacrificially. I can be giving of my time, my energy, my talents, my own self for others. Because I know that that investment, your labor in the Lord is not in vain, the Bible tells us. The final rightness will be accomplished. It liberates us to stand for truth. You may be required to say things to people they don't want to hear. It's in God's hands. You don't do it brazenly. You don't have to do it nastily. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be arrogant. You don't have to be boastful. You don't have to speak down. You can speak across as equal sinner. But to stand for truth knowing that all things will work to their right end. It liberates us to share the gospel boldly. What if your friend doesn't want to hear about Jesus and wants to reject him? Our, 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 our obligation is not to produce the fruit, but it is to be faithful. It liberates us. If we are found living by faith, we need not fear the future. God has spoken if you have heard his voice, if you have been given the vision of him and his holiness and have been brought to worship by his grace, then no trouble and no trial can steal your rejoicing. He will make, Habakkuk ends there, he'll make your feet like the deer on a mountain. What's that about? And deer, they jump fences. They, that, white-tailed deer. He's talking about the animals that you'd see videos. We don't have them here out in the... And, uh, West Asia that are climbing the crags and the rocky places and you see those mountain goats and they've got hooves that they can jump and they don't slip they don't fall all kinds of trouble surrounded by deep valleys surrounded by all sorts of rock breaking off and their feet are solid no matter what trouble comes their way they remain secure their feet do not move their feet do not move no matter the stumbling places, you will not stumble. No matter the rocky conditions, you will not fall. But you will be lifted up, held by his omnipotent hands. Trust him. Trust him. Even if all else may fail, he will not fail his people. Let's pray. God, I, I ask for every heart in this place. Father, I, I do not believe in a joy by obfuscation, by pretending like bad things don't exist. I don't, I don't believe in that kind of joy. So, Father, my desire is never to ignore the difficulties that do come in this life. Yes, the joys that come as well, but there's trials. Jesus promises us in this world you will have trouble. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so, Father, my prayer is that you would help every heart in this place this morning look to you with the eyes of that kind of faith, that come what may, our lives are in your hands, and that is reason, not for just a slight smile, that is reason 
for rejoicing. Help us, God, to see it, we pray in Jesus' name.